Thanks for reading, Susan. Uh, apologies for my voice today. It's not, uh, not great. I feel fine, but my voice uh, isn't going to sound that great, but I'm sure we'll make it through. Well, uh, we've, we picked two little passages from uh, the three chapters we're covering today in 2 Kings, and they kind of tell the story, which is why I picked them. Today's passage, it is the day before destruction for Israel. At least it feels that way, because the next chapter, chapter 17, destruction comes. But in this passage, life goes on, and yet it all ends tomorrow. And so the thing you wonder is, what were the signs? What would you have seen the day before destruction? And what's startling about this passage is that you don't really get what you expect. Uh, You read it and you think, what was God doing? What was the plan here? Uh, It reminded me of, in 2019, a CBS story came out. It was titled, uh, Disturbing Video Shows Driver Apparently Asleep in a Moving Tesla on the Highway. (laughs) Uh, And sure enough, you can kind of see someone looks like they're asleep. And uh, the, the state police comment, it was not reassuring. Apparently they said, technically there's no law against falling asleep behind the wheel of, a, of an automatic car. Uh, Tesla, of course, said it was a prank, and I don't know, it, look, it, it probably was. <laughs> but people accuse, people accuse uh, God of this. Um, you know, so a well-known line from Grey's Anatomy character, April, said, God is asleep at the wheel and humanity is locked in the trunk. See, often people look out at the world and, and they say, the signs are that no one is running things. There is no method to the madness. The good get hurt, the bad get blessed, and people say, see, God is not good. God is not in control, is the accusation. Uh, and you do leave today's passage as you read through, if you take time to read through all three chapters, uh, you, you wonder the same thing at certain points along the way. What is God doing The day before destruction, you expect the ungodly to be suffering, to be languishing, uh, but instead, they've never done better. So uh, let's uh, let's turn to understanding the passage. Um, It really is a bit of a calm before the storm. As I said, next week, destruction comes. The, The state next week, Israel, is literally dismantled. It exists no more. But throughout these chapters, you kind of get these intertwining accounts of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And uh, I'm just going to focus on Israel uh, through these. We're not going to look at the accounts of Judah through it. Um, But the message from the Judah accounts, in a nutshell, is that they're no better. (laughs) Uh, Maybe a little bit better, but not much. Um, If they're not destroyed as Israel, it'll be because of God's faithfulness uh, and not theirs. And yet, as we know, their time will come soon also. So today, I, I want to look at the two accounts we've just read, um, which, as I say, give us the key moments. <clears throat> so uh, follow along in your outlines if you find it helpful. Firstly, the sign of success. See, what were the signs that the destruction was coming tomorrow? What signs could you have read? But what about the sign of success? Uh, for as we're going to see, in this day before destruction, Israel were fabulously successful. <laughs> you just don't expect it. Um, the success came from uh, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. So, uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23, it says, In the 15th year of Judah's king, Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, became king of Israel in Samaria and reigned 41 years. 
Now, in case you got confused, there are two Jeroboams. Um, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, is, is the, was the first king that introduced idolatry, and you hear his name all the time. This is now a second Jeroboam, son of uh, Jehoash, the current king, uh, and he has great military success. And uh, I'm sorry for all the name confusion, but we'll be okay. We're going to make it. Don't worry. So verse 25 says, He restored Israel's border from uh, Lebiohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word, the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonas, son of Amiti, from Gath-Hefer. Yeah, these names are going to kill me today. So Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, is, is fabulously successful, is what is happening in that verse. Uh, and I have a little bit of a map. Uh, so you can see Israel before uh, this Jeroboam came along. And then look how much uh, territory he gains. And if you remember from uh, the previous weeks, this was uh, he takes over Aram, Hazel, and that whole area. Israel come out on top. And you kind of go, how could this be? Well, we're told it's according to God's word. Verse 25 says, God had spoken through a prophet. Now, we don't really know who this guy is. We don't have that prophetic word. Uh, but God decreed that he would bless Israel at this time. Why? Why would God bless them? Uh, was it because of their faithfulness? No, of course not. Uh, no. Verse 24 says, um, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all of his sins, we are told. So why does God bless them like this uh, if, if it's clearly not for their faithfulness? Well, it was for God's compassion because of God uh, and his love, who he is. Uh, 14 verse 26 says, For the Lord saw that, uh, that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. There was no one to help Israel, neither bond nor free. Verse 27 continues, However, the Lord had not said... He would blot out the names of Israel under heaven. So he delivered them by the hands of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. See, God was moved by compassion and his faithfulness for his people. God saw their affliction, which was very bitter. And uh, you remember we read a few weeks ago of Hazel, how terrible uh, the Arameans would be when they came for Israel, the terrible suffering that they would uh, undergo by their hand. And God sees this and has compassion and there's this interesting line in verse 26 no one was there to help them neither bond nor free like there wasn't even a slave that could help them that's how desperate they were Um, and you know why well they were alone because they had turned from Yahweh Yahweh who loved them they had deserted and yet God sees their pain you think God would just go ah but he doesn't once more he sees their pain and he cannot help but reach out his caring hand is held out toward them once again. As a father to a lost child, his heart cannot help but come to the rescue. Brothers and sisters, this is your God. This is what your God is like. Your Father in heaven is so, so loving. Even the day before destruction, he still cannot help but help. If there's anyone that perishes by the fires of heaven, it will be because they provoked God and they provoked and they provoked. And even in the final hour, they still provoked him because God loves and he loves and he loves. And even in this final hour, he is still loving his people. And so God gives him victory. He's moved by compassion and they prosper. 
Uh, and the prophets give us a fascinating uh, picture of the wealth of the Israelite society at this time and this final hour, as we've said. Um, so uh, Amos, Amos was a, a prophet who was active at this period of Israel. So you can read Amos and, and get God's take on all the events in Kings and Second Kings. The Amos 6 um, says, they lie on beds. What chapter is it? There it is. Amos 6, verse 4. Uh, they lie on beds. Uh, inlaid with ivory, sprawled out on their couches, <clears throat> and dine on lambs from the flock, and calves from the stall. They improvise songs to the sound of the harp, and invent their own musical instruments like David. What a great picture. I don't know what your bed is made out of. Mine's, it's kind of like MDF, and it has white, like flaky white paint on it. So it's not ivory. It's hardly inlaid with ivory. Uh, but this lifestyle sounds pretty good. Uh, you know, good, good drink, good coffee, brunch at nice cafes, uh, some nice roast lamb we see there. And it sounds like, is that improv jazz? Improvised song? I'm not sure what's happening. It sounds pretty good. Improv harp. Uh, and yet, we are reading the prophets. You know what's coming, right? <laughs> you know what's around the corner. These prophets were to a pagan party, well, they were party poopers. Amos continues in verse 6. They drink wine by the bowlful and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but do not grieve over the ruin of uh, Joseph. Joseph here means Israel, who we're reading about. Verse 7. Therefore they will now go into exile as the first of the captives, and the feasting of those sprawled out will come to an end. They, (laughs) They were doing well, and that yet they had forgotten God. Amos 3.1 says that they were storing up violence and destruction for themselves. Uh, and this is what people do. They accept God's blessings. They accept and they accept, but they forget about him. Those who are blessed in life physically, you know, they might have beautiful skin, secure jobs, nice houses, good investments. Such blessings are not a sign that they are okay with God. It is not a sign that God is pleased with them. It is simply a sign that God is compassionate. In a nutshell, success is a sign of God's compassion, not his approval. Every good thing to those undeserving is because of God's kind hand. So that's our first sign. First of two, the two main signs we're going to look at. Uh, The sign of success. The day before destruction... They were fabulously successful. People would have said, as they do, God, what are you doing? Is God asleep at the wheel? How come these people are prospering? And the same is true of the second sign, uh, the sign of sin. Sin is a sign of God's judgment to come, not his acceptance. Because the day before destruction, sin was running rampant. Uh, You would look around and see sin everywhere. Sin that had just gone on and on and on and on. And you think, well, people are getting away with it. If sin was really as bad as we're told, uh, how come there's so much of it? If God really cared, uh, why doesn't he stop all of the sin, all of the oppression? People would have said, as they do now, God, is he asleep at the wheel? What's going on? And so chapter 15 has been called um, Fast Forward to Oblivion. Uh, It speeds through the last 30 years of Israel's uh, before their destruction. Uh, And the sign that we see is the sign of sin. 
Uh, and you see this at two, in two ways at the kind of the national level, um, the physical evidence of sin. Firstly, God withdraws his stability from the leadership. It's kind of like uh, chaos with all of their kings. Uh, and the next is he, doesn't, he no longer protects the borders and they, and they start getting uh, attacked. So let's look at the first one. Uh, the first sign of sin is king chaos, I've called it. Because um, there's an absolute revolving door of kings in Israel uh, in chapter 15. And chapter 15 kind of highlights this by the way it sets it out. Uh, we're not going to read through them all, but you can see from the list up on screen, there's four um, Israelite kings, and they kind of clamber over each other to take the throne in quick succession. Uh, and it's kind of bookended by the two Judean kings who are steady. Uh, another little sign that Judah was just a little bit better, a little bit more faithful than Israel. Um, and the chapter reads like it's going on fast forward. <clears throat> so in 20 years, there are four conspiracies. Uh, you know, so 15 verse 10, uh, Shalem conspired against Zechariah and he struck him down publicly. 15 verse 14, uh, Menahem struck down Shalem. Uh, 15 verse 25, Pekah struck down Pekahiah. I'm probably saying all his names wrong. I thought, do you know what I thought when I became a minister? I just thought I would learn how to say all the names right. Because I always heard my ministers saying the names right. And now that I'm here, I still can't say them right. I'm sorry. I do try. <laughs> but it's interesting, again, we go to uh, the prophets uh, and we get Scripture's own commentary. So Hosea was another prophet who was active at this time. Um, and Hosea says in 7 uh, verse 5, On the day of our king, the princes are sick with the heat of wine. There is a conspiracy with traitors, for they, uh, their hearts like an oven, draw him into their oven. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. <clears throat> and so Hosea is describing uh, these kings as having hot hearts. Uh, why? What's the cause of this chaos? Well, the, the prophecy continues in verse 7. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they consume their rulers. All of their kings fall not one of them calls on me. And I think that's the key. Not one of them calls on me. These leaders of God's people, they're leading God's people, but it's about them. It's about their own ambition and power. They don't call on God. They're drunk with their own power. They're just like the kingdoms of the world. They smolder with ambition and pride and treachery. And so what's the sign of impending destruction? Well, one commentator says, uh, her own chaos is a sign that God is in the process of destroying her. Uh, and I, as I read this, I, I found it hard not to think of the revolving door of the PMs that we've had. Uh, and the UK used to laugh, the whole world used to laugh at Australia with all of our PMs, but then, you know, recently we got to laugh at them a little bit. It's all a little bit sad. Poor old Liz Truss. She only lasted 45 days. Uh, and, um, you know, well, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be mean here, but there was a, a kind of funny tabloid headline. You probably heard it. Will, uh, will Liz Truss outlast a lettuce? Uh, and there was a, there was a live video of a wilting lettuce beside a photo of the then uh, British Prime Minister Liz Truss. And the whole thing has started from an economist piece uh, which said that her grip on power amounted to seven days or roughly the shelf life of a lettuce, uh, which is how it all started. Um, and last week... Uh, the lettuce emerged victorious and Mrs. Truss's photo was flipped down and the lettuce was crowned victor. It's, <laughs> it's all a bit sad, really. Um, well, how does this relate to Second Kings? 
Well, you know, don't forget, Israel was a very, it was a very unique situation. This was God's special nation. It was a unique, they were in a special covenant with God in a way that, um, you know, our PMs aren't. Uh, so let's be clear, I'm not linking our, uh, the state of recent rolling PMs uh, as evidence of God impending destruction. I'm not saying that. It's not that simple. Um, I don't think our leaders are uh, any worse than anyone else in history. In fact, I think if you look in history and look at the other leaders in the world now, we're pretty darn lucky, I think. Uh, I think we should be very thankful for them. But I, I think it does say something actually about the Israelite kings. Uh, and we see that they're behaving like every other kingdom of the world. Israel is just like our leadership. They're just churning through um, history. This is what history does. History is littered with treacherous plots to overthrow kings. And Israel, God's chosen nation, are no better. Um, there is a better way. Call on God, the prophet says. Live under him as king. Israel could have called on him directly. Our society can call on him through Christ. And yet the people, they don't have the heart for God and the leaders don't either. There is a better way and there will be a better time. A nation run by King Jesus where in the new creation all will look to him and call upon the Lord's name. Uh, But ultimately in this life our leaders will have hot hearts anger smoldering all night and yet even in this God is at work building his kingdom so that's our first sign of sin uh, which points to destruction uh, in the Israelite state the next sign is that Second uh, Kings 15 it's clearly telling us it's a sign of destruction and that is the cycle of sin it, there's this repeated these repeated uh, phrases you know they kept sinning like their father and so we'll We'll look at them now. Because as you read through chapters 14 to 16, you notice these uh, repeated refrains of their sinfulness. Uh, the first one is uh, that the high places were not taken away. <clears throat> uh, it, it's talking about compromise, syncretism, pluralism, nominal, nominalism, to name some isms. Uh, but it, it's all kind of God plus religion. Uh, and the repeated phrase is... Uh, Yet the high places were not taken away. The people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places and under every green tree. So Israel for years and years, on and on, uh, was half-hearted in following God. We've seen that week after week, haven't we, as we've gone through. Uh, And the longer it went on, it must have felt okay. It must have felt like this is just what we do. Yahweh must accept this. Uh, You can just imagine them thinking, we're here doing it, it must be okay. But if the warnings were true, uh, sorry, and clearly uh, they would be thinking, well, the prophets keep warning us about this impending doom, but we're still here. We we must be getting away with it. And I think it is a good reminder uh, for Christians that if if we compromise in our devotion to God, uh, do a bit of Jesus and a bit of some other gods too, well, destruction is coming. This is the true sign. Success was not an accurate sign. Sin is the accurate sign. There's no taking it easy when it comes to following Jesus. No, no adding him in as they did. You know, they had the high places and Yahweh. God isn't going to accept that. He demands total devotion, complete sacrifice. There can only be one king of our lives, and that is Jesus. And so there's this cycle of sin. The people keep looking to these false gods. Uh, the, the next thing we see is, is the source of sin. There's this other interesting repeated uh, refrain um, talking about the road that Israel found themselves heading down. And the phrase 
uh, is word, word for word identical in four times, uh, four occasions. Uh, in full it is, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, as his fathers had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. And the message is, new king, same sin. It's just the same old sin. And the book of King it traces this infection for Israel back to uh, Jeroboam. You know, how many times have you heard that as we've gone through? It all started with Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Um, Israel, it's going around and around in circles doing the same sin. It's spiritually broken and it can't get out of this cycle, out of this spin that it's found itself in. And even worse, Israel, it was broken from the very beginning. It was the, it was the first king that got in. He brought in all of the idols. Uh, so during World War II, uh, the Germans uh, had uh, the French factories, French car factories like Renault and Citroën, producing uh, vehicles for the war effort. Uh, and so, of course, they knew they wanted to sabotage them. So, but to prevent this, the, the Germans split up the production, so they get one factory to make the engine and the other to make the chassis and that kind of thing. Uh, but the, the laboratory at the, the French underground uh, developed this abrasive and, of course, put it in the hands of the factory workers. Uh, uh, and so the workers, you know, they would smear a bit of this abrasive on maybe some key bearings somewhere in the engine or whatever. Ask Tim, he could tell you about how it all works later on. I don't know, but, they, you know, they're putting, they're putting abrasives in the engine to try and sabotage it. And so the, the truck would roll off the assembly line uh, and it would go fine for, you know, maybe 80 kilometers or so, and then it would just mysteriously break down. Another truck. You know, uh, over a stretch of 10 months, 90% of the trucks put out by one plant had this same strange problem. It just kept happening, you know. After about 80 Ks, that would just break down. <laughs> well, the trucks would get 80 Ks, uh, and Israel got 200 years. Uh, but, but with both, there was a problem there right from the beginning, right, right at the beginning. The trucks had this abrasive installed at the factory, and key, Israel's first installed king uh, introduced this sin of idolatry. There it was, right at the start. It was part of the fabric of the nation, and it's, <laughs> the nation, it, it just slowly ground to a halt, uh, and that's what we're seeing here. Uh, you know, and as you, I think you look at Israel, and, and, and we should learn from it. You know, there's a mistake, uh, or it's, it's a warning about, about how things can kind of creep in, and then they're there, and they're a part of our lives, and they just keep chipping away, and we never really, we never really get out of it. There's this flow-on effect of some of these things that we, that we let creep in. You know, I think about parents, the way we raise our children, the examples we set, the lessons we teach, they have these ongoing effects for good or for bad. Um, but I guess the reverse applies too, doesn't it? If we hang on day by day, if we, if we teach our kids now, then they will know. It's, it's an amazing thing about teaching kids about God. They will know about him for the rest of their lives. You know, you meet these adults and, and you say, how did you become a believer? And they say, oh, I, you know, I went to Sunday school and I never forgot. And then last year I, <laughs> I found myself thinking about God again. And so the same is true. The reverse is true. In fact, the repeated references to sins uh, and origin coming from this one man, Jeroboam, it, it, it makes it hard not to think about Adam, uh, from whom sin entered the world, uh, and of course Jesus. So as disastrous as Adam was, uh, in comparison, also how wonderful is Jesus, the one and only Jesus. Romans says, since by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more? 
Will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So what entered the world through Adam, death, was overthrown by grace, that through one man those in him might reign and have life eternal. And so as we stand back and think about what Kings is telling us, the sign that destruction was around the corner was the ongoing sin. Um, wherever you see ongoing sin, you can be sure that destruction is around the corner. And we get a little taste of it in this final section of the passage, uh, which we'll just look at super quickly, um, because Assyria, called the rod of God's wrath, is raised up. Uh, and the account is a little foretaste of the complete destruction coming next week. And I've been preparing next week's sermon over the last few days, and it's terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying. But we get a little snippet here, so 15 verse 29. <clears throat> It says, In the days of Pekah, the king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileseh, king of Assyria, came and captured Ajon, Abel-Bath-Makkah, Jano, (laughs) Kedesh-Hazor, Gilead, Galilee, and all the land of Nipphali, and deported the people to Assyria. Um, And so I think I have a little map. There we go. So the... uh, the first map is the one uh, in chapter 13 and earlier. The second map is the one we had earlier today. Remember the great success they had at the beginning of today's passage? They got back all this land. Uh, and then what we're seeing here is Assyria came and took even more back. And it's just this funny picture. I don't know what it's saying. Easy come, easy go. Or um, if you never thank God for the things he gives you, then they will be taken away. Something like that, I think, is the lesson. Assyria is this juggernaut. Uh, they are raised up. Assyria are huge, so if you can uh, see on the scale of Assyria, it's all that, that giant green area, and um, you know Judah is that tiny little, like on the same map, it's just a little dot, uh, Israel is, is a little dot. So Assyria are massive, God has raised up this huge enemy, and we'll look at them more next week. But God is saying, if you do not want me to be your king, <laughs> well Assyria will be. Verse 29 says they were deported, and this deporting was to uh, assimilate them, to disintegrate them. If, if they didn't want to be God's nation, they would be nothing. That's what is happening. And so choose your king. We all must choose. Who do you want to serve? Are you going to serve God? Accept his leadership. Put off sin by his power, or we will be subject to another. So the lesson is sin, is, sin is a sign of God's judgment to come, not of his acceptance. The world looks at God and accuses him of being asleep at the wheel. The world sees the ungodly getting away with sin, so much sin, but makes the mistake to think that God does not care. But the sure sign of destruction is the sign of sin. For where there is sin, as we said, destruction is just around the corner. And so we look to put off sin in our lives, don't we? We want to be washed clean from our sin in Christ, and, and we live our lives striving to put off sin, living faithfully to our compassionate King. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we stand back and marvel at how you work in the world, your compassion, your holiness to punish sin, but help us to live as followers of Jesus, putting off sin, honoring him as our King in all things. In his name we pray. Amen.